This is Living Proof Radio, May 2024. All of our full episodes are available on our Patreon with weekly drops, a Patreon-only radio show, and Living Proof magazine delivered to your house every issue, as well as our entire members-only library backlog. Patreon.com slash York. Peace, everybody. For the month of November 2021, we have a zine out with Savvy OTR featuring Merch, Labrat, Ruets, Too Much, Leech, Yamo, and Dr. Dax. The zine is only available through our Patreon and documents Savvy's graffiti from trains to the high spots he's well known for. As many of you know, we've used all of our Patreon proceeds to help out people within our scene and communities in need. People who aren't rich, are in need of help, and are near and dear to our community. The bank was going to repo Charlie the Hustler's RV, so we paid off Charlie's debt to the bank so they didn't repo his home and make him homeless. Bat was arrested and acquired legal fees, so we paid Bat's legal fees and sent Bat zines to everybody who donated. We helped pay off the last of Hertz restitution money so his 11-year-long parole could come to an end, using a print of Hertz Day in court to raise money for that. We donated 6,000 meals to the LA Regional Food Bank and sent hailer patches to everybody who donated. And most recently, we held a food drive in New York at Tompkins Square Park, handing out plant-based meals to the community and sent out Rebo LNE zines to everybody who donated. That's what we've done with all of our Patreon proceeds. The link to our Patreon is in our Instagram bio, website, and description of this episode. And the savvy OTR zines are only available through our Patreon. Peace and love to everybody who listens and everybody who supports us and helps make everything I just named possible. It's been nothing short of an honor and a blessing for us to be able to use this platform as a vehicle to helping out people who have helped us out when we needed it the most, as well as communities in need. So enjoy the episode. Peace. All right, so I'm just going to start it off with a quote, and that is that all that we are is the result of what we have thought. It is founded on our thoughts. It is made up of our thoughts, and that's a quote from the Dhammapada, which is uh, one of the traditional Buddhist texts. And uh, I guess my starting question is, uh, do we have control of our thoughts? Because seeing as that's a quote from a Buddhist text, a lot of like the Buddhist meditation techniques talk about understanding that you really can't stop the flow of your thoughts and just observing them and just seeing them letting go of them and realizing that not even your own thoughts can you hold on to which is uh interesting to me because then it seems like we don't really have control of our own thoughts but then this text says that we all we are is the result of what we have thought so i guess my question to start off is uh what do you think about us having control of our thoughts well yeah you can't really have control over Thinking. Thinking is going to happen. I think it, it, w- what it comes down to is how you respond to the thinking. You know, some thoughts are helpful, some aren't, and some are just kind of neutral, usually. I will, you know, we'll talk about it in Buddhist circles. Um, but, you know, again, I think it's about, like Thich Nhat Hanh will describe thoughts as like seeds, and you can choose to water them or not. Mm. You know what I mean? And some you want to flower, and some you want to just let them die, you know. Um, so it's it's really more about in meditation practice, say, or in mindfulness practice, having the ability to be objective with your thoughts and choose wisely which ones you water and which ones you don't, right? So it's not so much a matter of you're controlling your thoughts; it's more you're controlling your response to the thoughts, right? Do you think it's possible, um, at least for me, uh, I've never had like a teacher in terms of uh, like a spiritual guide. I've just kind of read the books uh, in a wide variety of them, maybe read different translations or just uh, critiques on them. And when I first started reading them, I'm like, okay, so what you want to do is you want to put an end to all thoughts. Uh, You think of like, at least how I thought of it was like at first, kind of like just that monk in the, in the in solitude who can really just put an end to all thoughts and well, i tried and i tried really, and it's like though yeah what i've found in doing like those week-long silent retreats there can be uh, a lot of time between thoughts 
a lot of time. But inevitably, thinking will come. And again, I don't think even the most accomplished uh, practitioners of sitting meditation would tell you that they are able to control their thoughts. You know, again, it's, it's the reaction and also how much time you give it, you know, like on a retreat, any thought, no matter what it is, we're taught to let it go immediately and come back to our breath, you know? So in that practice, you just learn how to do just that, whatever comes up, just let it go, you know? Um, but then in real life, we need to make decisions, so to speak about, you know, what we do. We can't let every thought go or we'd be fucked. You know, during the silent retreats, um, were you mostly in solitude or like were you around people? Because I feel like interacting with people would kind of like cloud your mind in a way. No, it does. Um, usually, how it goes on a retreat, um, the 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 size of the group can vary, for sure. Um, I like ones where there's maybe twenty to thirty practitioners on a single retreat. Um, you're not supposed to look each other in the eye at all. Um, certainly not supposed to talk to each other. We practice noble silence. So it's like, if you really need to see some, say something, you should say it, you know, but you find that most things you think you need to bring up, you don't, you know, um, so, and I, I think it's helpful to have the group, even like the Buddha, describes the three jewels uh buddha dharma and sangha sangha being the last one is the community of buddhists so it's just as important say as the teachings of the buddha or finding the buddha within yourself which would cover the other jewels you know what i mean um so it's important you know even um i mean that's a classic saying you know if you're you're not going to get any smarter unless you hang out with people that are smarter than you you know so it's just this kind of uh also like the the inward work of buddhist practice can be really really heavy and it can be nice to know that there's other people around you on a retreat going through the same difficult stuff but we're all there to work on ourselves and to support each other even though we're not talking to each other or looking at each other it's just you feel it from what you've experienced like let's say you take someone that works in in the middle of manhattan like at a desk job that's all around noise every day like what have you seen when they when they go to that environment for example like a silent retreat were there those types of people that were like changing their life into the complete opposite or trying it out at least uh yeah i th- i mean in general regardless of kind of where you're coming from in life it's going to open up new ways of understanding your life and your place in it and again your thinking mind and your heart you know all that kind of stuff you know everybody uh reacts differently to you know some people can kind of just cruise through a a retreat and not burst into tears once you know but like me i end up doing it a few times throughout the day it just happens you bur- you burst into tears a few times throughout the day oh sure especially on a retreat but just in general life kind of yeah yeah, I think that might be a part of the the work that I've done. Usually it's music, too, or a movie, or... Yeah, it's usually music or a movie. It'll just... And it's usually... It's like tears of joy, you know? I very rarely cry out of sadness. It's usually just these weird situations where all of a sudden I'll just start tearing up, you know? It's almost corny. But I, it's, I, I think it's just a byproduct of doing those retreats and things and just being kind of soft and open to the world. You know? What made you want to go on a silent retreat in the first place? You know, a lot of people, they're going to hear, why, they're going to say, why the fuck would I want to go on a one, silence for one week? What's the point of that? What was the point of it for you? Well, at base, the point is to remove distractions. Hmm. That's what a retreat's all about. So you give up your watch, your money, you know, your phone. Um, again, it's not a fashion show. Nobody's looking at each other. So you dress, you know, chill. Um, and it, you know, it's just removing distractions. Um, so that you're at the place 
where you're able to observe your thinking mind quite clearly because there's no distractions. Now that's a sort of Pandora's box because in day-to-day life, we're usually filling up our day with busy work to keep us, uh, keep our minds away from the things that are hurting us or bothering us. So as soon as you go into the silent mode and go within, all that shit comes right to the surface and it just, it's loud and it can be really difficult. But again, you're around Buddhists who are dedicated to helping people alleviate that kind of stress in their lives, you know, and they have these particular techniques to help you get there, you know. Um, but, it, you know, the the longer you can kind of stay on the tr- on a retreat, the deeper you'll go, the deeper into your, your dirt. But again, it's not a place where you're working on it. It's different than therapy, right? Mm-hmm. In therapy, you're actually talking about it. Mm-hmm. On a retreat, again, anything that comes up, your worst memories, your best memories, it doesn't matter. It's just thinking. You just let it go, you know? And I think that's why most Buddhist teachers, I think these days, if somebody has real trauma that they're trying to work through or addictions, to do Buddhist practice in addition to therapy. Normally, Buddhist practice... I don't know. It, it You know, it has its... Uh, limitations on some level although i think if people really really just dedicate themselves to it they'll i don't know it's hard to say that that therapy in combination with meditation because you know that's the whole thing with Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings in particular he really coined the phrase mindfulness mm. i think part of that was out of this uh recognition that just sitting in meditation on a cushion and getting good at that doesn't really prepare you for taking that out into the world, right? There's a lot of people that can are awesome meditators but are assholes, you know? Like, still egotistical as fuck. So he was just like, there needs to be some sort of way to transition from the cushion, you know, formal practice to, you know, living in the real world. Yeah, because essentially, if you if you can be calm while meditating, well, that only helps you for that ten, one hour, two hours that you're doing it, thirty minutes. Whereas if as soon if if that ends there and you go into the real world, then what is the purpose of uh, being calm and compassionate when you're completely alone? But then when you're yeah. in front of people being aggravated, it's not. What exactly. Is it? That's exactly what mindfulness is about. You know, at least to me, from learning that from from him in person. You know. Um, and it's really, it's just about concentration. You know, like the formal sitting meditation practice that I do is called Vipassana. And it's, you know, just coming back to the breath, you know. But mindfulness is really taking that where you're just one taking one thing at a time, so to speak, and taking that into the real world. So he'd be like, when you're washing dishes, only wash the dishes. If you're thinking about something, stop thinking, come back to the dishes. Same time when you're on the toilet when you're eating, drinking, you know, all those like taking a shower, the basic things that we do every day can be these moments of meditation, you know, and that's important. Do do you think you you called, um, you called, one of the reasons that you go to a retreat of silence and just uh, to a setting of like a solid sangha is um, just to rid yourself of distractions. Uh, yeah. Distractions being the watch, distractions being uh, the hat that you don't really need, the distractions being the... Do you think that these distractions, which is uh, pretty much like the material world, the materials around us, serve any purpose of advancing our spirit? Or the only purpose they serve is like this distraction? Aside from their material use mm-hmm. of like this paper, I have a material, I have a use for it. Well... Hmm... Can you rephrase the question for me? So, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, no worries. I'm so, just like, trying to think how to approach an answer for that. Yeah. So, let's say that uh, there's this uh, watch, yeah. which uh, tells me the time. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, this tells me the time. At the same time, uh, uh, my my cell phone tells me the time, and also there, everyone around me has a cell phone. So, in 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 some theory, this does nothing but uh, 
like maybe it doesn't even tell me, I'm not even using it to tell me the time and all it's doing is distracting me, giving me like, oh, I kind of like how it looks. Like, oh, G-Shock fucking Casio like uh, has sure. some history. Like, yeah. but really it's just impeding my my spiritual progress of like yeah. letting go of things that I don't really need. So what do you well, think? That's the thing. I think, again, you have to have that discriminatory mind to determine what's a distraction and what's not. You know what I'm saying? Like for Thich Nhat Hanh, he writes a lot. He writes in lots of different languages, and he explains the Dharma in a way that people all over the world can understand. And that becomes an object, even an object, you know, in the marketplace, you know. And in that way, you know, it's still, uh, yeah, it's still part of that material world, but it's really, really, really important, you know. Just as much as, like, food is important. I mean, yeah, it's about finding the things that are, worthwhile to your mission you know and letting go of the stuff that's not you know yeah also in terms of uh, just living a life of minimalism and living a life of like extreme minimalism like uh, real austerity mm-hmm. uh there's a uh, there's another quote from the dhammapada but i'm gonna just uh, pretty much paraphrase it because i don't have it written yeah. but it just talks about how the fool who lives in austerity eating just very small bits of food off of just blades of grass uh he's not he's not getting as far as like the person who just realizes the truth. Um, and you know, there is the Buddha himself something to that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Buddha himself, uh, uh, talked about how he tried extreme, uh, asceticism. Yeah. Tried fasting yep. for until I'm going to reach enlightenment and yep. it just didn't work. So yep. wh- where do you think that, uh, abstination from a lot of sense pleasure comes into play? Well, the Buddha talked about the middle path. That's like the fundamental, idea i mean to buddhism where it's riding in the middle of the extremes of society and culture and life and with an intelligent wise mind making the right choices you know um so you know and he learned that firsthand historically he was practicing asceticism till he damn near died and two little kids in the story brought him rice and milk and brought him back and he had that aha moment like how can I be of strong emotional and spiritual character if my body isn't strong, you know? doesn't have to get to an extreme. He just needed to be healthy, you know? And that realization really bummed out his friends who were still ascetics, you know, and were like, oh, man, you sold out. You're eating regular food now. Like, that sucks. And he's like, no, no, let me explain. And they became his first converts, you know, his, mm-hmm. his best buddies. Um, but I think that's super important. I think of that all the time, especially now, because of how the media's work. You know, like it's so polarized, Republican or Democrat often, right? And so you're getting opposite information often, especially these days. And I just re- try to remind myself, stay in the middle and listen to both sides understand what's overboard and what's valid you know and then make a decision from that middle place about which way to move if it's to the left or the right or just keep on trucking forward you know but beware of getting caught in extremes you know because again the buddha was nonviolent, and he knows when people get caught in extremes that's when you have extremism and people start getting killed over ideas which you know to a buddhist is ridiculous they're just thoughts they're not real you know, why why kill each other over that? That's stupid. Yeah, but no, it's like uh, if you think about um, I th- the middle path. You think about it in gym- terms of daily life. Like for example, uh, the vegan community, and like I, I don't eat meat, uh, and I'm pretty much vegan. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you decide, for example, like I, I like the fact that uh, the Buddhist monks in a lot of communities they just eat out of a bowl yep. that they what they're given. Yep. Um, of course, it's not like they there's pretty much no expectation when they when they hand their bowl and uh, one of the big things for me is uh wasting things I, I, do, I do not like wasting things so for example say i go to a restaurant with my family and uh there's a piece of fish that legit n- no one's going to eat a hundred percent they're going to throw it away and uh not only that but um if i were to eat it it would not impede my life in terms of uh, my lifespan or my health uh for any pretty much any amount of time yeah uh but I don't because I'm very married to this idea of veganism. I'm, ve- I'm not selling out. No. Yeah. But really what you're doing is now this food is being wasted. Uh, I don't necessarily think that that's... I think that that's a form of extremism. Me personally. Well, 
the from what I understand historically, the Buddha didn't have um, a prohibition against the monks eating meat. Um, because of basically the reason that you're pointing out right now. If someone had leftover food, and that was all they could offer to the monks, that was very, very specific, because they were, it was very auspicious for you to have a monk in your home. The neighbors would, you know, people would boast about it, like, oh, I have a monk staying with me, you know? And uh, they would cook for them, and they were totally forbidden from doing that. They were basically supposed to be homeless wanderers, beggars, you know? Um, so again, if it was really just the scraps, something they might even offer to a dog, that was perfectly acceptable to offer to the monks. Yeah, I mean, of course, everybody would know about the karma involved in offering a monk meat. But again, if your intention is correct and it really is scraps, that, would, that was okay, totally. You know, even now, like uh, Tibetan uh, monks eat meat. Yeah, they do. Yeah, totally. And, and, I mean, and really Thailand as well. On the country, you know, and also the sect. I mean, there's even Christian sects that don't eat meat. You know what I mean? And you know, I don't know about Islam. If there's Muslims that are vegan, and, and it's it's really crazy. Like uh, I went to Thailand, and uh, I had this idea of the of the monk who does not at any like they don't eat meat. Hmm. Uh, this is my idea. And I go there well, and I see... You could find them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I see that some of them in their bowls, they would eat meat. And I was mm-hmm. like, truly let down because of my judging mind. You know, it's like there's no such thing as absolute truth. I don't know what their story is. I don't know how the ideology behind it is. But I later yeah. found out and I see it and I'm like, damn, fraudulence. That's what, well, I, that's what I thought. There's different kinds of monasteries, though, too. Uh, you know, you got to understand in Thailand, a lot of criminals that are looking at prison time are offered to go live in a monastery. So often some of those monasteries are full of like the hoods, you know, cigarette, smoking, drinking, you know, and they're, they have to live by the rules there. But again, it's like, it's a little different than, um, you know, like a, like a forest tradition where they're Mm. really homeless you know, and really practicing like the Buddha did himself, you know? Yeah, and, so and I feel like... all it, kinds of variation. In terms of mindfulness, it is so hard to be mindful in the society. For example, I, I look at... I always, like, use the bowl of oatmeal as an example of a mindfulness that we don't have. And I look at my bowl of oatmeal in the morning, and it might seem like a simple, just plant-based food. And it's like oats. Then there's almond milk or oat milk or soy milk. Then there's blueberries, and there's strawberries, and there's some grounded-up flaxseeds and chia seeds. Then there's organic yeah. peanut butter. And I think to myself, for me to get all this shit, like for me to grow this myself, it would be impossible. Yeah. Like yeah, I would yeah. need different climates. I would need ma- a lot of knowledge. I would need... Yeah. And then it's like it helps also to d- decrease the judgment mind when you realize the truth of that because then you might look at someone let's say like eating like let's say a piece of steak or meat which you know vegans are there's no short of judgment in that sure um you might be like this fucking guy like of course like it's just for flavor uh uh, i have like a simple life i have like a and you you bring yourself up not even noticing that what you ate for breakfast was spiritual materialism they call that yeah yeah when you get when it actually your spiritual path is increasing your ego and that's wrong, <laughs> you know? So you, you got to really beware of that, you know, people. And that's a thing that will happen a lot in American folks, too, where they uh, start to boast about how spiritual they are, how good a meditator they are, and any teacher should just shut them down mm-hmm. and be like, you're going in the wrong direction, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of that on, like, social media, you know? Like all oh, sure. Peop- it's like a business now, in a way. You know, oh, sure. People... Uh, they jump on that because you yeah. don't really need um, natural talent or anything. You can just kind of come off as this image, you know what I mean? And like, you know, mm-hmm. people are making money, but still it kind of takes away the genuine aspect of what the core foundation of all this is about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that uh, are kind of satisfied with a bogus preacher. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there there's levels to everything and you know there's there's always going to be those people who can be successful spiritual leaders without any 
you know, actual credentials or, you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, seeing the general population having an interest in this is already, you know, like a seed planted. So that's at least yeah. you know, something, in, yeah. something good. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 just it. You yeah. know, um, I think some people, you know, they set out to try to be like a spiritual leader, and they get a congregation, and the congregation tells them they're special and that they have power, and they just start to believe it, mm-hmm. enroll with it. I think that ha- happens a lot. You know, because again, it's no telling what people are going to respond to, especially with that kind of like spiritual stuff. You kind of assume nobody's going to listen. And then all of a sudden you've got all these ears and you're like, oh, I must be really, I must be like doing this. This is real. People are telling me this is real. Another thing I've been thinking of is uh, the the concept of uh, problems in your life. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. So, um, you know, it's a widely held thing in philosophy and also just life in general that problems make you stronger. Problems uh, help you. You learn through your suffering. You learn through your experiences to overcome. Even in Buddhism, since we've been talking about like in the Four Noble Truths, the first one is suffering. And through that, you eventually follow down the path leading to just your ultimate uh, freedom, I guess. Mm-hmm. So seeing the fact that problems give us an opportunity to improve ourselves is... Uh, is freedom renunciation of issues or is freedom acceptance of all issues? So, so if you're looking for freedom, should you be trying to make your life as comfortable and pleasant as possible and that way you're achieving like a state of happiness or should you be trying to live with what the, pro- the problems you have in front of you to use them to strengthen yourself so that they no longer fuck your mind up? That's my mm, question. That's heavy. Um... What would be real freedom? I think it's different for every person. Um, that's a tricky one. Because they're, because on retreat, I do feel quite free. I feel like it's, it's how I kind of should be living as a human being. It's quite pleasant. Um, day to day, I feel good and calm and connected to everything and i'm like vibing with the animals and the trees and shit you know (laughs) it gets silly but um when i come back home from a retreat i realize that everything in my life is a choice that i'm choosing to live in a certain place work in a certain place do a certain thing to make money you know even fuck with money because on retreat you realize you don't ever have to handle money and you're perfectly fine you know what i mean so personally i like the freedom of being out here in regular life and not in a monastery you know that's real freedom for me um because there's still some stuff about buddhism that i disagree with you know so yeah, you know, it's, there's always pros and cons, you know. I think that's another part of that middle path thing. I'm always considering the pros and cons of kind of every situation, looking at it from every side, you know. And there's pros to monastic life, but there's some cons too. Like you really don't have freedom to wear what you want, have your hair as you, however you like, which, you know, on some level does develop ego, you know, but at the same time, I don't know. I can just throw on whatever. I ain't tripping. If it gets ruined, fuck it. You know, just as much as, you know, I still shop at thrift stores for most stuff. You know? Yeah. I don't I don't think that inherently has to be a distraction. You know? Yeah, and everybody has. The, it's like you can't say that uh, one thing is good for everybody. So you can't say that there's one type of freedom for everyone. That's what I'm saying. You really got to figure it out for yourself. You know? A big part of it for me is also only working enough to pay my overhead every month and then taking and having a lot more free time as I get older to do other things or just to rest and just enjoy the beach or whatever the fuck, you know what I mean? But that's real freedom for me. Hmm. Well, well, you just said uh, earlier that... uh when you when you go to these retreats and you're in solitude, you're amongst nature, you're not speaking much, you're focusing a lot on your thoughts, you come to the realization that uh, you don't really need to fuck with money and you'll be perfectly fine. A lot of people are going to hear that and they're going to be like... Much happier, frankly. 
They're much a lot of pe- happier. A lot of people will hear that and they'll say, what are you talking about? I need to pay rent. I need to eat food. I need- what do you mean I don't need to fuck with money? I need to fuck with money. If anything, this needs to be the thing that I need to fuck with because money is like the substance that is equivalent to food. It's equivalent to my rent and shelter. It's equivalent to uh, my phone, which helps me stay in contact with my relatives. So how will I not fuck with money and be perfectly fine? So what do you say to that? Go on a retreat and find out for yourself. I mean, that's the thing. Like, what we talk about communism and materialism and, you know, uh, uh, all that kind of thing, you know. And Buddhist sanghas or monasteries are for real communist. But it's small groups. It's manageable. They all have a moral system and a code that they're living by that's very, very specific. Um but they don't like once you become a monk you, you're not allowed to handle money period so even at Thich Nhat Hanh's uh centers he has lay practitioners in his office that handle all the money and stuff because and they do a great service for all the monks that live there so they don't have to touch money and every day everybody works a little bit everybody does some sort of chore for about an hour for the community including us retreatants um and that can be that can actually be one of the more important aspects of a retreat you know what you choose to do is your volunteer work um but again you see how it just works you know what i mean and uh it just feels so good you know like the food tastes so good because you know everybody in the kitchen was being mindful and was meditating and was putting love and care into the food and that you're eating you know it's like a real connection I'd always volunteer to clean the toilets because it was very humbling to scrape shit off the walls, you know, and to use that as the focus of my meditation practice, you know, but also knowing I was doing a great service for my community because it was usually the bathrooms were pretty wrecked, you know. That's amazing because you look, you think about scraping shit off a toilet and in uh, the mundane world, that's the lowest, that's the low, you're not doing a service for anyone in your mind. You're like, this is the lowest job is and then yeah. but you use that same exact uh, job to feel important and yes. feel uh, that you're yeah. helping. Your com- you're doing a great service. That's right. Nobody else wanted to volunteer for it. I'm down. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll get on my hands and knees. Yeah, I'll do it. You know, in silence, you know, and I'll make sure I get it real clean. Totally. And have a lot of compassion for the people that are having diarrhea because they're eating vegan food on retreat <laughs> and they're used to other stuff, the yeah. Europeans. and You know what I mean? Like it can be a... It can be a little rough in that way for some people. Do you think you know? it's possible for society <laughs> to uh, to drift away from like living under a government to move on to like a more of a commune setting, or do you think there's just so many people in this world that it's not possible? Oh, them? I think that's very possible. I've been watching a lot of little videos about the Amish, mm. and they live in America. They don't know who the president is, yeah. like li- literally. Like they're not watching the news at all. They're not interacting with any of that shit. Mm. And they've been here for you know hundreds of years now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's very possible, totally. I mean, there's Buddhist communities here in this country that are the same way. Mm-hmm. Lots, you know. Um, that's totally possible. Yeah. Even with the state of humanity, with like being so dependent on like working nine to fives with a certain routine, do you think it's possible well, for them to just break out of that within? We're like, a seeing short that of time? even with COVID. Yeah. Um, so many people are working from home now, mm. and the hours are way different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People have a lot more flexibility. I, I think it's actually fantastic that that happened on a certain level as someone who has worked as an independent person and still put in like eight hours of work every day. But sometimes you start at one in the afternoon. Sometimes you're able to start at nine in the morning. You know what I mean? But to have that flexibility in your day and still to get your work done, I think is really good. It's way more like, I don't know. There's, it's like, to, it is like we were talking about freedom. A big one for me is having the ability to wake up when, when I damn well please. You know, sometimes it's noon. <laughs> You know, you, often it's eight, you know, but I love to have that flexibility. Like I know like the poor nine to fivers, like they got to get up no matter what, no matter how they're feeling, even if their body's really not wanting to go and it needs some more rest. You can't get it. You got to wait till the weekend, you know, and then somehow the weekend doesn't provide any rest either. Well, that's the thing, though. But that's, the, again, that personal take on what is free, you know, what is real freedom, 
in your in your life and in your lifestyle you know and those those are big ones for me well one thing i do think is that uh whenever you're taking time doing something you're equally taking that same amount of time not doing something else so you have to really should should think about what is your ultimate aim in life right because like let's say that uh obviously not everyone cares about spirituality and that's okay but uh, let's say that that is your aim somehow uh, but uh, 90% of your time is spent elsewhere and then maybe 7% of the not 90% is like spent resting from that 90%. You got 3% left and uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know how you're going to achieve your aim, man. Yeah. Like, if, well, that's if where that the was retreat experience jumps in because yeah. then you're doing it 24-7, you know, so you get like a, a jolt of it mm. because, yeah, in day-to-day life, it can even be tricky for people to find 20 minutes just to sit in silent meditation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Much less like the usual 40 or 60 minutes. And when you start you know. trying to meditate, you realize how hard it is to really sit down. If you're it's not funny used to it, like it's that. really it's, hard. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's funny how difficult or just kind of how frustrating it can be, you know, where you think you're like, oh, I wasn't thinking for it. Oh, I just started thinking. You know, like, fuck, you know, as soon as you want to know that you haven't been thinking, you start thinking and then you're out of it. It's this funny, like, kind of frustrating game. Yeah. Or, or you, you know? think about the fact that uh, people all the time, they want rest. Like, yeah. uh, you all want rest from my work. I want rest from uh, my relationships. Yeah. I want rest from my family. I want rest. But then you go to meditate. Here's rest for 20 minutes. Oh, but uh, it's kind hard. Of- I want to be resting on my phone. So I can mind-numbingly not focus on my thoughts or not, not sure. try to think or not like visualize the, the flowing river of my thoughts that I can't... No, I don't want to do that. I want to rest on my phone to relax. Well, so, it's been proven that like um, sitting in a silent room um, requires a lot more mind energy than when a TV is in the room. Really? A TV is more relaxing. Yeah. And that's kind of dark. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Lulls you, you know. TV's giving you information, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but I mean, that's really you, you hit on a, a real key point about the mind. You know, yeah, with no distractions, it starts to f- kind of freak out a little bit. You know, because it's not really having anything to process. It's almost like it's an ego itself, like a little person inside you that's just when you're not using it it's like oh what's up bro we're not gonna kick it like i i got all kinds of stuff i could throw at you and we could think about stuff and you're just like nah you can shut up for a little while like go away and it's like nah dude like <laughs> come on man this is my purpose this is what i'm here to do and you're like nah i don't want to hang out like fuck you yeah those internal dialogues can get really funny <laughs> can you um can you compare your experiences on like psychedelics to what you take from these retreats like um, yeah totally i mean uh i probably talked about this in the first podcast the metaphor of the door right Mm -hmm. so you know through that door is the egoless state meditation you can just walk through the door door is always there Mm -hmm. with psychedelics you just get thrown through the door and you're in there for however long it wants to fuck with you you know and then it spits your ass out (laughs) you know what i'm saying so it's just more a matter of to me uh, having control over the duration, the intensity, but it's the same place that I think I get to, mm-hmm. you know. And my like personally, I I feel like it's the same place. Because mm-hmm. we were speaking to Ray Capo from Youth of Today. Oh, cool! And then, uh, he was talking about how you can achieve these states uh, without that substance, something outside of yourself. You know what I mean? Just oh, for mindful sure. Breathing and everything. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I had. Um, when I was a raver, there'd be times when I was like bugging out a little too hard on acid and I'd go sit down somewhere and try to chill out. And more than once, like older guys, like hippie dudes would come over and be like, hey, kid, you okay? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just fucking tripping out. I'm in the zone. It's, it's pretty intense. And, and again, more than once, they would be like, oh, you know, have you tried meditation? Do you, are you comfortable in that place? you know where you're kind of egoless and i'm like oh yeah i love it and they're like oh you're special you should think about meditation because if you like that place you can go there anytime and you don't have to deal with all this the rush and the the crowds and the you know the the chaos of of it you know you do it in a like a a controlled environment that's actually when i started taking lsd by myself like in the afternoon you know away from people doing it alone after some of those talks with those older dudes you know you talked about how you used to do it in the woods alone 
Yeah, every Sunday, 94 and 5. Yeah, I would take, I would drop the LSD on Upper Haight, that neighborhood, and I'd walk all the way through Golden Gate Park to the beach. It's about an hour walk, and by then I'd be cooking <laughs> sparkles and, you know, trails and stuff. And I would just sit in the beach and do what I was considering at that time meditation um, without formal instruction, say. Um, and then I would walk for like five or six hours back to downtown to get to my apartment. I did that, yeah, every Sunday for a few years. Yeah, it's amazing. I was doing <laughs> something similar on my bike. I would just leave the city mm. and go upstate or Pennsylvania and take some mushrooms with yeah. the sun shining on like yeah. an open field and yep. just, I don't know, everything would just kind of flow. You yeah. Know what I mean? and, uh, shrooms are such the better option. Mm. You yeah, know? LSD, LSD like was just like, hectic. you never knew how long you were going to be blasted off or. Can't go to sleep either. <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, totally. Wait, why can't you go to sleep? You just can't fall asleep? I don't know. It just keeps you Well, yeah, like often when I would at, like still be really high on LSD, as soon as I'd get flat and close my eyes, it was like outer space fucking <laughs> fractal ride. You know what I mean? It's just so intense. You feel it in your body like you're on a roller coaster, and it's just like, what the fuck? I ain't sleeping. <laughs> There's no way I'm sleeping right now. My body is in that outer universe fucking going for a ride. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so you just kind of have to open your eyes and just be like, fuck, all right. Well, let's see. Oh, no, still going. <laughs> you know? Yeah, DMT is so that way. With your eyes open, it's a completely different experience. You feel like uh, like acid and then mushrooms is totally different thing, or yeah, yeah. I mean, again, they get you to a similar similar place, you know, through different streets, you know, get mm. to the same park, let's say. Um, but I like that mushrooms are a lot like marijuana, where it's just a plant. You just try it out. You don't have to do any prep, you know, and just eat it or tea, you know, or whatever. Um, there's tons of evidence that we as humans have been using mushrooms for a long, long time. I mean, it seems like every day I'm finding some new study that they're finding it in some ancient site. Because they're you're using DNA now to test ancient sites to see, like they did it uh, in Pompeii. They scraped out the bottom of a lot of the... Uh, ritual uh burners and like uh kind of like bongs and things or incense containers and they found there's all kinds of psychoactive substances that they were using like people in pompeii had these like little boxes of all these different kinds of mushrooms from around the world you know they totally knew about all that shit and were for sure using it in their uh you know religious uh uh practices you know even Christianity, a lot of scholars will say there was a psychoactive substance in the Eucharist originally. Do you think that any of it is behind Buddhism? Well, sure, sure. I mean, the Tibetans are well-knowledged about medicinal plants and psychoactive plants. Yeah, there's a lot of specific, like, Tantra rituals that involve specific substances. Absolutely. I think that's pretty common all over the world, mm. you know? I mean, it's, I mean, if you think even like if we're hunting and gathering, you know, we were gathering mushrooms mm -hmm. and somebody at some point must have had the balls to try one that was growing under a cow shit, you know, or some animal like it. And sure enough, it gave them a fucking thrill ride. You know what I mean? They'd be like, oh, hell yeah, I'm going to tell everybody about this shit. So I think they were, they were, you know, that would have been a real thing. I mean, imagine, you yeah. know, a thousand or. 1500 years ago 2000 ago you have some mushrooms yeah. you know and you're giving them to people why would they not think that was an experience of god you know mm -hmm. this connection and it's through a plant yeah. again it's one it's yeah yeah i just got some wafers from a friend that are just ground up compressed mushrooms and they're very regular you know what i mean the dosage level is very regular and i think it's great that that stuff's out there and it's been legalized in a lot of places I don't really fuck with it myself. <laughs> Again, because of the meditation things. Like any, the last few times I've done hallucinogens, my deep inner voice has said, "Bro, come on! Like you don't need to do this. This is dumb. Like we've been through this. You know, you've learned what you can from this. Like quit it. <laughs> you got nothing to prove. You know, and it's loud. 
and it really kind of ruins the high. <laughs> and you said earlier that you have some, you don't agree with everything that's in Buddhism. What are some sure. of your disagreements? Because I have I have some that uh, I thought you of. know I mean um, sexuality is one. You know, to me, sexuality is the force of the universe that self perpetuates us and seems like everything else. You know, I mean, I think of even exchanges of energy between non-living things you know could be considered even sexual on a certain level because it's procreative you know what i mean um and you know you can't make more buddhists if they're all celibate you know and i get that in the monastic tradition you know you're trying to get rid of all distractions and sexuality is a huge one you know um but again in my personal path knowing that it's how we create each other i and just how incredible the actual experience is every time like there's something important there you know that i don't think you can just kind of turn your back on and achieve an enlightenment of the nature of god in the universe without that mm. you know what i mean it's a, it's one of those things like I absolutely adore Thich Nhat Hanh as a teacher, but I really don't know if he's ever had sex. I kind of doubt it because he became a monk in his teens. He has conceded that he has an understanding of physical love in a certain way. He did have a friend that's one of his senior uh, nuns now. Um, and he uses that as a reference point when talking about physical love with regular lay people. Um, but again, there's this part where he hasn't experienced something that I think is really, really fundamental to the human experience. Mm. It's almost like that with psychedelics, too. If, un unless you've really blasted off on psychedelics, you're a virgin of sorts in my mind. Mm. You, know? you really just don't understand a huge part of how the universe works. Yeah, you, could, you can only have, like, uh, through observation, you can probably only learn so much. That's the thing. Like, we could talk about sex, but actually doing it is a whole different thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that's important. Um, yeah. Yeah, th there's, there's just those few, th you know, so, so here's few one of the things, things that I question. Here's one of the things that uh, I've been thinking. So, like, um, I read this uh, critique on Buddhism, and I think... It was a while ago. I read in some random library, so I don't even have the book or remember. But yeah. I think that Nietzsche wrote it. Okay. Uh, but it might have been somebody else. But anyways, there's a critique on Buddhism, and one of the things that he was talking about is the fact that, um, okay, so what is, when you think of, like, the Buddhist, what do they do? Like, a lot of the times you might think of a monk, you might think of someone at total peace and uh, eradicating of the things that plague common man, such as like watch, don't need watch, hair, don't need that, uh, sex, don't need that, and flavor, don't need that either. Mm -hmm. Even sometimes preference, I don't need that. Um, and I guess he starts the, the book by talking about like, okay, what led this person to do this? Uh, clearly, they can't, this is what he says, that they can't handle um, life the way some... A problem that, for example, let's say person A would handle like no problem, like, oh, that sucked, move forward. Maybe the person who really went to the real mountains and really just survived off of, you know, rainwater and pine needles, they couldn't deal with regular life problems. They're almost like a weak person. This is what he's saying. Number sure, one. Sure, sure. And yeah. then number two, uh, in terms of the letting go of all attachments, all desires and all, that is the very thing that makes us human, they say. So you let go of all these things. Are you just like not even, are you just letting go of the human experience? Sure. You're letting go, sure. you're yeah. running from, I'm putting right. in quotes, life itself. You're running from yeah. life itself. What do you think about that? Well, I think the Buddhist rebuttal to that would be, again, that, that ability to choose. You know, to choose uh, how you respond to your thoughts, how you respond to the world, how you respond to all the complexity, you know, and whatnot. And you could see it as running away or you could see it as focusing attention. Mm. You know you know what I mean? So again, it's just kind of on you if you feel like it's it's benefiting your life or you're just running away from things. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure a lot of the monks um all over the world, Buddhist monks are going through that wondering. And that's again that where 
I would probably enjoy and thrive a monastery situation. But again, I don't think that's what I was put on this world to do. I have these artistic talents that can somehow get attention from people and have given me a livelihood that's different, you know? And I'm just more kind of rolling with that intuition and seeing how my life pans out, you know? I really, I try to remind myself too, the Buddha was not trying to make Buddhists. He was trying to make Buddhas, you know? Just as much as I think Jesus was doing the same, trying to make Christs, not Christians, Mm. you know? Like leaders, not followers, Mm. you know? I feel like both of them were very clear about that, you know? And that gets terribly misinterpreted. You know, yeah, kind of on the on the same wave. It's like uh, so. Another quote was um, that the cessation of suffering can be attained by renouncement or letting go of this tanha. And then I looked up tanha, and then it's defined as a tanha is a concept referring to thirst, desire, longing, greed, either physical or mental. And they say that there's three types of tanhas or cravings: uh, kama tanha, which is craving of sensual pleasure. Bhava Tanha, which is craving of existence, and then Vibhava Tanha, which is craving of non-existence. So basically, you crave three things, uh, ple- sensual pleasure, existence, or non-existence. And that they said that the way to eradicate suffering is by renouncement of these three things you crave. So if you don't crave these three things, how do you progress in life? You know what I'm saying? Like, um, a lot of the progression you well, make... Well, again, you know... Is it important to progress in life? What does that mean? You know, in the materialistic world, it's accumulation of goods and money, right? Um, But to a Buddhist, they're not thinking that way, you know? Um, They're in the present moment. They're not considering the future. It's a big difference, Mm. right? They're really living in the present, and they live in the present constantly, so it's a whole different paradigm, really, you know? Um, and again, until you experience that for yourself, you really just don't have any understanding of how that goes. I mean, it seems like it would be difficult to give up all that stuff, but for a lot of them, it's just not, you know? It's just... Uh, they've, they've, they've found faith in Buddhism, like I have found faith in it, and it's Buddhist faith is different than Christian faith, where the faith I have in Buddhism is because it shows that it works in my life, right? And because it shows, I have more faith in it. Whereas Christian faith is more like this faith in something outside of you, outside of your experience that you're hoping for, you know, that you're going to get some reward by doing the right thing. You know, it's kind of the opposite, really. Yeah, it's crazy. It's you so know? different. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just how it is. I mean, there's a lot of words out there that, you know, looking at it one way can have opposite meaning, you know? Yeah, for sure. But again, I think that's where the monks come in, where it has brought them peace and ease, you know? And that's why they continue to, to, to do it, you know? And really becoming a monk is a huge fucking deal. It's huge. I mean, that's the thing. Like, again removing distractions you no longer have a family yeah yeah you're not just removing you're not the supposed bad to talk to your family have any contact with them in most sex for at least seven years and also like, and they, your and hobbies you know they go through a ceremony where they treat you as dead who does know? often the families do you mm-hmm. know it's there's a it's a practice called a year to live um and you know you basically yeah you make your peace with the world and you're, you act as if you're going to be dead. And it, after the end of that year, you're pretty egoless. You're raw and ready to jump into monastic practice. Well, you've you got to think someone who's willing to really renounce their family, their friends, and the foods they love, the hobbies that they love and their passions. You're not just renouncing like your traffic on the way to work. You're renouncing a bunch. You're probably renouncing more good shit. You're probably renouncing more good shit Again, than bad shit. And that's where I'm at. Like when I come home from a retreat, I realize that all the things in my life I'm choosing to interact with. And I love those things. I love them. I love bicycling and skateboarding and painting and drawing and all of that stuff. Listening to music really fucking loud. Smoking weed, you know? Like, yeah, I love all that. And I love having the ability to 
to choose and to again find my middle path in the midst of this modern society you know and try to find some ease in it have you heard of that thing uh like the kali yuga sure do, do you think that we're really in an age of like fucking confusion and this is like the kali yuga or do you think that this that's a misrepresentation it all depends on how you look at things well, I like Terence McKenna's theory, you know, of the rise and fall of civilizations. It's kind of on a wave. Um, even the whole age of Aquarius is similar to Kali Yuga, you know, that we're at the end of a dark phase and then something cataclysmic important is going to change and we'll be in this whole next stage of humanity. Um, it does seem like we're kind of poised for that. Um, I don't know how it's going to pan out or when or any of that, you know, um, but it's, we're definitely in a dark time, you know, it seems like there's people who are desperate to hold on to the control that they have, knowing that it's inevitably going to be lost to them. Hmm. Like, even politically, if I'm correct, we could check it maybe, the age group from 18 to 40 years old in America right now outnumbers everybody 40 and above. So in a voting democratic society like ours, it no longer matters what anybody 40 and above wants or or believes in. The kids run it straight up, you know? So... I'm I'm kind of more watching to see when the young people under 40 realize the power that they really have, you know, cuz they could really could just take everybody out and put new people in. You know, really have the power to just fuck the whole system and, you know, start over. You know, which again could be even a darker time in the transition, you know. I think it's going to be a technological thing that's gonna change things hugely you know something like ai Mm. um i was just talking to a friend about the scientists in santa barbara that are trying to communicate with dolphins and whales Mm. using technology using ai that's something that could really change our whole perspective on humanity if the dolphins and the whales have been keeping an oral history and they haven't changed as a species for way longer than us, they'd be able to tell us about us in a way that would just, I think, would just change how we think about ourselves, you know? I mean, really, we can't uh, communicate with a single other species, but the dolphins and the whales have the, bi- the enlarged brain cavities just like us. We're the only three species on the planet. That's a dumb, funny thing, right? Like yeah. kooky, hippie shit. But boy, it's it's intriguing to my mind, like the possibilities. And I, I was just AI, seeing dolphins yesterday at the beach. Like mm. they're coming around. They haven't been hunted for decades now. So they're, they feel safe. There's generations of them that have felt safe around humans again. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it's just one of those things. But within the like the golden age, um, not the golden, the, the Kali Yuga, the age uh-huh. of confusion. If I'm yeah. not mistaken, there is a golden age where people are waking up and feeling enlight- more enlightened than and before. And I do see that. So I feel yeah. like that the powers that be, maybe they're 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 so enhanced. Let's say like the negative side, because the 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 other side of the yin and yang is is growing also. Like the yes. good, you know what I mean. So there's right. like an extreme power right now like uh yeah can't even put this in words <laughs> no no it's a it's a it's a conflict yeah, yeah yeah it's a terrible troubling conflict right now and i feel like yeah. a lot of people are feeling that a lot of people we've yeah. talked to that don't even know about spirituality or this or that they just see that there is like two sides of the coin right now that are like meshing and mm-hmm. like you said it might be the the end of a certain period of time a certain yeah. age you know? no that's just it my like my buddhist teachers are still ever hopeful Mm. <laughs> ever optimistic mm. that the the change is coming you know and especially like i say with the the uh the generational change you know of the the young people i mean just so outnumbering everybody else mm. you know i mean it's funny to me now my parents were baby boomers when my dad or my when my parents were born right after world war Two, that was a big population 
explosion. But man, every generation since has been way bigger than that. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't only talk about it, but that was a big thing we talked about when I was a kid. You know, just how are we going to feed all these people? And it's like we were we couldn't have possibly anticipated how much the population would grow. And I again, I feel like that's a lot of the the problems. You know, the push and you know, yeah. I'm curious to see how it pans out. You know, I hope it doesn't become violent. You know, I wonder if in our lifetime we'll see a a huge change in our just society in a way. Well, huge change. We're we're seeing it right now, though. That's the thing. There's little things at work that are. I mean, even uh, I had a a lengthy conversation with friends yesterday about blockchains and NFTs and that whole world. It's the future for sure. You know, and it's not controlled by financial institutions and governments. Some like cryptocurrency and That's stuff. the thing. Yeah. It's this new thing and it makes sense that uh it will it will be the future. Some people you know? say it's like a spiritual thing, the cryptocurrency in a way. Well, that's the thing. It it's from what I'm understanding, it's uh remedying a lot of the uh problems and errors of the past in basic systems. You know, uh, just in the like for artists, because of the blockchain, um, you can keep an eye on what you sell and you also can get a royalty each time it's sold. And that's a huge difference than the usual fine art world where when you sell the piece, it's done. You don't get any money on what it's sold for afterwards, you know, Um, and that's just a huge revolution in how art business is worked out and that the artists themselves can basically have the gallery and not have to rely on anybody even for that like man yeah like i could see that's the thing galleries really normally they take 50 percent of the sales of your artwork um and that's less and less uh wise these days if you just have your own online store you get a hundred percent of the value of the thing right to yourself you know so that's having that's a huge change you know my experience with like uh the cryptocurrency and all that i found it like almost a turnoff to be honest because like i i downloaded coinbase and i i monitored like it changing and when i first downloaded the i used to work with this guy that made hundreds of thousands of dollars on it Mm because he got onto it early and now the percentages went up Mm -hmm. but what i found that bothered me when i downloaded it i would be constantly checking like oh it went up a dollar it went down a dollar and i noticed it would um like almost cloud my mental i was so worried about like how much money no no i had yeah. and i was just so right. worried honestly right. over and over so right. i finally just took everything out and just like yeah but now i don't know if i and regret it now i don't know i don't know but it's that's being a wise person yeah you realized you were being distracted by something imaginary mm. basically and it was in yeah. taking over space in your in your mind and it just at a certain point you were like enough yeah but then i talked to him and he wouldn't say that's wise because you're like, yo, if you just yeah, stayed in it, you would have you would have tripled your profits. Depends what your aims and, are. Yeah. If your aim is to get rich, might not be wise. If your yeah. aim is to clear your mind, it's probably wise. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Everybody's got their own motivations. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, because people are often asking me why I'm not taking advantage of these kind of new opportunities and things. I don't need to, frankly. Mm-hmm. Again, the freedom part. I have the freedom to say no. I, you know, like. I get offered so much freelance work that I'm just like, no, 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 no. I don't need to do that. You know, it, it kind of sucks to draw stuff for other people at this point. When I know I can just draw whatever the fuck yeah, I want, you set it on limit. posters and boom, I'm good. I can, you know, every drawing I do, I can usually get almost four grand out of it between selling the original and doing posters. That That's what I'm saying. That is fucking crazy some, amazing. Some people and I live control a whole year all of it. Yeah. yeah. No, that's the thing. It's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah again the freedom like i at 50 years old now i feel like i have a lot of freedom you know and i have some backup plans if anything changes i've always got trades that i can fall back on you know that still have value but you know in the meantime i'm just gonna keep on trucking yeah it's it's good it's good i love seeing people from like the from the graffiti skateboard art music and uh just that stack side of the world that has meant so much to me and pretty much made me who i am Mm-hmm. I love when I see them make that shit happen. So it's 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 awesome to see that happen. And uh, 
Yeah. I just have to say, like, thank you for letting us here and uh, just doing oh, this yeah. episode. It's been an honor for us. Yeah, it's cool to meet you guys in person. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> sit across the table from each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I much prefer that. 100%. Dude, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Hearing bro. about yeah, all this anytime. is like an inspiration, you know, especially to younger. Yeah, it's it's fun talking to you guys about this yeah. stuff, you know? It's, uh, it's something I find myself talking to people about a lot, the Buddhist stuff, especially mm. lately. You know, people got time on their hands to mm, sit with their, or not. Right? Yeah, we're not. Or just like, Mike, I'm fucking, I want to stop thinking yeah. so much. This is driving me crazy. Yeah. I got way too much free time. <laughs> yeah, it's a you powerful know? topic, I think, nowadays, because people sure. are feeling this more than putting it into words. Like, yeah. I can't do. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. It's, a, it's cool. So many people took psychedelics for the first time last year. I think that's so great, you know? It's like, everybody lost their job. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's do mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. It's <laughs> that's amazing. That's great. Yeah. Again, you know, like, a lot of people are waking up. Yeah. Even in the midst of this dark time, yeah. Yeah. you know? That's what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bro. Thank you so much, bro. It's all good, man. Thank you. Thank Peace. You.